Welcome to Genius Leadership Podcast, where we discuss how to overcome everything as a leader. I'm your host, Anna Liebel, a mind shifter, helping male leaders in tech get out of the firefighting mode, become the proactive leaders they want to be, and enjoy the ride as they go. Join me every week for honest, insightful conversations with corporate, entrepreneurial, and academic leaders. We discuss their roller coaster ride of leading from their zone of genius and when they don't. If you find this show valuable, please subscribe and share it so that more of us can live a healthier and happier life. Now, let's get into the episode. Hey, Genius Leader. Oh, how much I am excited for you to hear today's episode. I have two guests who are coming from, you could say, two different sides of the table when you talk about the startup world. My guests are Hilga Walfus, the founding partner of Crowberry Capital, and Renata Badebarajas, the CEO and co-founder of Green Bites. So what I wanted to do with this is have, having a fun conversation about different myths that we have about the venture capital world. And the reason for bringing Helga and Renata is that Renata is the founder who is backed by Crowberry Capital, where Helga is working. and. I just wanted to bring those different perspectives of Renata, who used in the beginning to be a bit scared or skeptical of venture capital, and then going to raising money in that direction. So I wanted to explore what made her change her mind, what helped her go that way, but then also bring the perspective of Helga, who has been in the venture capital industry since 2009, and her perspective and her view on the industry. So we'll be discussing those things of whom venture capital is for, what kind of founders uh, should consider this avenue for their company and who is it not for. So which kind of businesses or plans from the founders side should abstain from that path. We're talking about why are there myths about venture capital and why are people sometimes demonizing it or misunderstanding it. So we're covering that from both perspectives of Renata and Helga. We're also talking about what is the role of venture capital. So people who come onto the teams of their founders are not really to be hands-in, but uh, more on hands-on. We are covering quite a lot about the board um, of directors for the companies, how to choose your board, what to think about. Uh, what kind of role they should play and what kind of cadency they should have with the founding team and so on and so forth. We also talk about the mental health of founders and what is the role of the investors and board in that and about the delegation, which is a topic I like. And we have released an episode about that recently with Arne Peter Blix, which I enjoyed a lot. And I know that a lot of you have as well. So without further ado, let me just Get into this episode with Helga and Renata. Enjoy it and see you on the other side. Ladies, warmest welcome to the Genius Leadership Podcast. Hi, great to be here. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you very much for having us. I think it will be a fun, fun conversation because we it's, it's a different format. I usually try to cover one perspective at a time, but here we have two perspectives and I think it will be a very interesting dynamic to discuss that. No, exactly. It's nice sort of three's company. It's nice to have um, sort of different voices around the table. Absolutely. Looking forward to what Renata thinks about... Uh, I'm excited uh, for the question. 
<laughs> Let's come to the first question then. Um, Helga, I would like to start with you. What is venture capital? Okay, venture capital is um, basically it's basically investment. There are venture capital funds around the world which have grown a lot in the last 20 years. But I think venture capital really has its roots um, back to like the US in post-war America, really. And it was actually a French person who was in many ways considered to be the first VC in America. And, you, and some people will say, even say it's historically an older type of investment. So basically, venture capital uh, are usually funds. And so you have like, for example, Crowberry Capital is a venture capital fund. We have lots of investors that have invested in Crowberry Capital, and then they want us to invest in early stage tech companies. And usually each venture capital fund has a theme. It's usually around tech. Um, it didn't used to be, but I think post-internet, it's always around tech. So it can either, and usually it's either around biotech and life science or around sort of the digital economy. And for example, Crowberry Capital, we invest in the digital economy. But also recently, we've also seen a lot of venture capital funds that are dedicated to preventing climate change and working on the climate. And then maybe they go into more um, almost sort of more life science and or chemistry almost because there's so much that has to be changed around the climate. But um, the majority of venture capital funds that I know of are sort of around the digital economy. And these are funds that are willing to take more risk on an individual basis. So they will invest in er very early in companies, take a minority stake in the companies, but these, assuming that these companies will grow very, very quickly. And usually it's like something. So you have to be, it's, venture capital is good for companies that have a large market and are going to grow quickly. And that's what you can do with technology. You can scale quickly mm -hmm. because you don't have a lot of sort of factories and things like that that you have to set up. You're just developing a product. And venture capital funds can come at, in at different stages of venture capital. And the way the venture capital industry works today is usually you have funds that come in at seed stage or A stage or B stage or later. So, for example, Crowberry Capital, the fund um, that I work with, is we sort of come in at seed stage, sometimes do pre-seed, um, like we did in the case of Green Bites, mm -hmm. and sometimes late seed, but sort of normally seed stage. That means that the company has been founded, the sort of initial team has been assembled, and the company is trying to find product market fit, mm -hmm. trying to build a product and get feedback for the market before they scale. And usually we fund the journey from sort of zero revenue to a million euros or dollars in reoccurring revenue. That's a very typical thing that we do. I don't, you know, venture capital is not a law. It's a lot of entrepreneurs think that they have to get venture capital, mm -hmm. but it's not the right investment for all businesses. And I think this is a very important. And if you don't get venture capital, does not mean that you're a failure. It just means you're building a different type of business. So there are lots of different ways of funding businesses from crowdfunding, angel investment, corporate investment, bootstrapping, venture capital. Venture capital, if you take in venture capital, it means that you have a large market opportunity and you can scale quickly because mm -hmm. you are, because venture capitalists, they maybe invest in lots of companies and the comp the successes have to compensate for the ones that don't work. When as a VC, I look at every investment 
as an exper- an experiment, especially as an early stage VC. You know, we look find a team that we believe in as building on an opportunity that we believe in. And then if the company doesn't find product market fit, we close the company. But if they find product market fit, are able to build the revenue and they can scale and get the next round of funding, we continue and we put more funding into the company. So I think it's also having the courage to look at this failed. And so we're going to close the company. So some of our companies are successes. Others have medium growth and some we close early. And so the successes have to compensate for the companies that grow sort of don't find this sort of rapid growth or the ones we simply close. So that's why we want a high return. We go into companies that can offer us a potentially high return. You have a lot of, uh, you have mentioned a lot of things that I want to tap into. And thanks for mentioning, for example, that VC is not the law. <laughs> I think this is something that we see a bit as the narrative nowadays in the, in the startup world, that this is the success. And I think it's very good that you're mentioning that that's not the the one and only way to go and it's not uh, for everyone. But before we go into that, for whom it is and for whom it's not, I would like to get uh, your opinion, Renata. How was uh, your vision or um, picture of what VC is just some years back, let's say, before you started working with Green Bites? So I would say that I didn't have a picture of what venture capital was before I started working with Green Bites. And you, before... We started this conversation, you mentioned something about like aspiring founders and aspiring entrepreneurs. I don't think I was like an aspiring founder. I was working at a big corporate company that did uh, energy production and had this idea and kind of fell into Green Bites because there was no other option in my mind. Mm. Uh, so before starting Green Bites, there was just, I didn't know anything about the world of founders. I didn't know anything about venture capital, maybe a little bit from like, startup movies (laughs) but of course like i think that's that like startup movies and maybe like startup culture cliches that you see from like silicon valley uh bros and like that kind of that was my like idea kind of but it really didn't cross my mind Mm -hmm. before green bites so when you did start when you Mm -hmm. fell into green bites as you said because there was no other option why was there no other option first and foremost so i think I think life kind of pushed me into it. And also I just kind of get obsessed with the concept of food waste. Like I moved to Iceland to do something related to sustainability. And that's what I came to do. I studied sustainable energy and then like started working in sustainable energy, but simultaneously learned about food waste and like the lack of solutions available to prevent and uh, assess and mitigate food waste in different ways. And I was like, wow, there's definitely enough smart people working on energy, but I would like to make my mark somewhere a little bit that needs more help. And the idea kind of came while I was working in energy. And I just kind of floated the idea around and also applied for an accelerator. Because again, I didn't have like a, I'm a mechanical engineer by training and do not have like a business training. But I started also learning about the Icelandic entrepreneurship ecosystem uh, through different learning programs and applied for an accelerator. And there was just this natural stopping point where my contract at the energy company ended. And then like the next Monday, uh, we had been accepted for a six-week accelerator that we could focus on Green Bites full-time. Perfect timing. Perfect timing. Mm. It was wild. (laughs) 
Wow. So what was your first interaction with uh, the idea of venture capital? Maybe not really talking to venture capitalists, but how did you learn about that? So we were introduced to the venture capitalists themselves <laughs> quite early on, because uh, the first thing that we did was this one accelerator. It was good. Plegith, which was a pitch competition, and Snyatlaide. Mm -hmm. So it's two things going on at once. So we also, yeah, we did two learning programs at the same time, right at the beginning. And one was very like traditional startup, like how do you form a business? And Snyatlaide was more impact uh, startups. And the impact startups one was the one we were more involved with because it was a six-week program. They had lectures and they had presentations. And that was our first introduction to it. And I think that did kind of color the way that we viewed it because a lot of the other people who were participating did have experience starting companies and they had this different um, perspective into it. And I think there's this like clash or there used to be a clash between like impact versus like uh, profitability, profitability yeah. which I don't agree. I think like you can do both. Yeah. But because there seemed to be this clash of like, can you make impact and make money there? It kind of colored my view. I'm like, oh, there's, it started to fuel the cliches of like, mm. oh, they want to take some of your company or like whatever. And I didn't really know too much about what it was. I just had heard some like snippets of people being like, oh yes, I want to continue to do, run my company the way I like or whatever and different things like that. So that was the first thoughts floating around. But again, as I mentioned, we got introduced very early on to venture capitalists. I know all of the partners from Crowberry came and spoke at different points. And that's when I started to be like, oh, like maybe this isn't the case because Yenny came in. And I remember one of the things that she was talking about was slush and how there's very few female venture capitalists. Mm -hmm. And she was talking about how she got interviewed about Slush and how it was a bit silly that one of the big venture capital meetups happened in saunas, uh, mm. because in saunas in Finland, it's naked, which is <laughs> totally fine if you're Finnish or Nordic. But there's a lot of like venture capitalists that are not from that culture and maybe sexualize the nakedness. Mm. And if the vast majority are men then it's not like super comfy no, I mean, to be, I, yeah, you know? exactly. And the women weren't invited. It just didn't oh, occur even, to them. Yeah, even that, better. Yeah. Oh. It didn't occur to them that, um, because they thought this is a male sauna oh, and it gosh. just didn't. And I think that's that has really changed at Slush. Mm. I mean, I think so. Because yeah. that was at the very beginning, but that's yeah. what I was like, oh, wow, how cool that like these venture capitalists are like bringing up these points. Because mm. I didn't know, one, the scene of like venture capitalists and two, that like, there was people speaking up about like how they wanted to see the scope of the scene. Mm. And then uh, later on, I saw Helga present at a conference at Latvia. It's called. Latitude tonight. No, Tech Chill. We didn't know that she was going to be there. We were there for a hackathon that we won, which is great. And we heard her talking about the mental health of founders. And again, like, I didn't even know this was an issue. We were very early in the process. I'm like, how cool that they're bringing up all these topics. And like, then I started to be like, oh, wow. Like, look at all these different things that people are pointing out in this, mm -hmm. in this weird field that we're in. Yeah. So basically the first uh, thoughts of yours were skeptical and a bit afraid because of the stories you've heard that, okay, venture capital means I cannot run my company the way I want or something like this. And then very soon it started changing because you have had interactions with 
the representatives of the ecosystem that showed you different? I would say that the skepticism was a little bit from the the opinions of that I heard, but also mm-hmm. just from lack of knowledge because mm-hmm. I just I just didn't know. And you know, good scientists always <laughs> a sprinkle of skepticism. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's also if you just look at sort of like if you look at the I don't know if you've seen Silicon Valley, the TV show or the Facebook movie, and it's like founders are crazy and and venture capitalists are evil. And what I've really found and why. I, work in venture capital is usually founders are on a passionate, on a mission, and are usually very, very nice people. And I think most VCs are there to support a great group of founders. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a much nicer culture than you see in media. I I mean, I think um, both founders and VCs have to take tough decisions sometimes. And that's hard. But because, you know, do we close this company because it's running out of money or you're not getting revenue? And I mean, decisions like that are hard. And you have to have very frank discussions or suggest ways of building stuff. But I think, you know, in general, I think the sort of the Hollywood version of a VC or a founder is not the reality. So I think Why do you think that is uh, prevailing there? Is it because it buys so more? much more fun? Exactly. Yeah, it's exciting. You have to have <laughs> like no one what yeah. people talk about uncomfortable things. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's also, I mean, this is like the Hollywood version of lawyers. They're either like good or, I mean, it's just like, it makes a good story. Mm. It's like really boring if they're just like, oh, what is your customer acquisition cost? Oh, yeah, interesting. You know, it's like, yeah, I want the company. Right? That makes it much sound much more exciting if you mm. were just talking about about sort of KPIs all day, which we do a lot of, I don't think anybody would find it interesting. It wouldn't make a good film or a good TV show. Mm -hmm. It has to be people fighting over something. So a lot of this misunderstanding is actually coming from the clickbaiting trends in a way. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. But I I mean, I also am wondering if there is a lot of misunderstanding. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, I think um, VC was also, it was, uh, venture capital was usually like a really small sector of the economy. And I think traditionally it was not very transparent. People didn't sort of share why they invested or, mm. and for people, if you weren't part of the startup economy, it was difficult to, re- to think, what does the venture capitalist want to know? How is he going to value my company? I think in the last mm. 10 years, it's become a lot more transparent. And I think with the growth of accelerators and things mm-hmm. like that, they've kind of taken the mystery away. And I think a lot of um, venture capital funds are also more open and transparent. You know, they will share their term sheets. They will put them on the website. You can Google sort of what what a VC pitch is like. So I think the whole, as the sector has grown and as, you know, there's, I think that, and as you have more and more founders around the world, it's not just an exclusive club in Silicon Valley that has built a language that nobody else understands. So I think, you know, and I think, you know, transparency is the best way of busting the myth. Absolutely. I agree. And I mean, I can't speak to like the general experience because I've just had this one experience and my personal experience has been good. But I have heard of like some clashing of heads between founders and VCs. And I think the root of the issue is, yeah, lack of communication. And of course, like you come at things with like different perspectives. And if you come like for different perspectives, like maybe you have a different goal, but ultimately you are trying to fulfill the same thing. Like you both want the success of the company. You might have different opinions on how that should go just because of the different perspectives and also just your different like backgrounds. But I totally agree that like, I think lack of communication and transparency fuels the myths, but it also fuels any issues that I imagine happen between 
the founders. Mm-hmm. I think it's yeah, lack of communication, but I also say like too much urgency and not doing your yeah. own due diligence of like who you're going to work with because like venture capitalist capital capital is not for everyone each venture capitalist is not for each founder and vice versa because i mean it it very much is a relationship that you're going to be a very serious relationship (laughs) that you're going to be entering long term and it's not just money like you want to be able to talk to each other and to bring up your problems and not be afraid and be like hey this is my thing and not be afraid that they'll like i don't know not be happy about it and instead work together to because you're going to you're going to face things i'm sure because nothing's perfect and like the path to success is not obvious and having people that you can bounce ideas off of and get support in different ways is really important so how do you actually do this due diligence uh, with understanding which vc firm or partners are for you especially because I, i see so many founders who go into the slippery slippery slope of trying to show them what they want. Mm. And in a lengthy process after several months, they have adjusted the vision of the company so much to fit the the idea that they have that the VCs are expecting that it's not a company that they want to run anymore or to build. So it just becomes, if they succeed with raising money that way, then they're in this situation when they're building something they're not passionate about anymore. So how do you not get into that vicious loop. <laughs> so a couple of things. I mean, I think what you just described is setting you up for failure to like, to promise something that you one don't have and two are not interested in is not going to be successful for you. And I think people can fall into this loop because they are afraid that if they show what they actually have, they won't receive funding. But honestly, like they're I know that we're in like an economic deficit and people might not like it, but like there is so much money in the world. And like, there's a lot of people who are funding different things. And if this person doesn't like what you are building, they are not the person for you and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of like finding the person that's right for you. Mm -hmm. One, being honest about what you have, what you want to build and what, yeah, and how you're interested in doing that. I don't have like a template on how to do it. We got very lucky because again, the Icelandic ecosystem is very small. And despite having spoken to around a hundred investors uh, during our fundraise, uh, we went back to Crowberry Capital. They led our fund along with two other, uh, one other venture capitalist and another small angel consortium. Because we had spent so much time getting to know each other, uh, not as a potential like founding situation. Like, Helga and her uh, partners in Crowberry Capital are very present in the Icelandic ecosystem and the different programs. And Helga herself like would sit down with my co-founder Jillian and I and have lunch and be like, hey, this is how you approach investors. Like maybe it's not us, but like this is how you can like talk to them. And like this is the language that you use and what's expected and like different things like that. So for us, it was just we were all very lucky because we knew that, I don't know, we already had a good relationship. Why do you do that with yeah, companies? Um, well, I think it's just giving back to the ecosystem. And I think it's sort of, um, I just believe in karma. So if you give, you know, if you give something, you get something mm-hmm. tenfold back. So I'm always happy to talk to people that are doing interesting things. And I, I spend a lot of time talking also to founders who I know are not the right founders for us because they don't fit into our strategy, mm-hmm. but advising them. And I think it's something that I would have loved when I was starting out. It's also when we were raising Crowberry, there were pe- there were 
other successful venture capitalists that helped us. Um, you know, there was a professor at Harvard Business School who gave us advice. There was Brad Burnham at Union Square Ventures. There was a woman who used to work for the European Investment Bank, and they all selflessly gave us advice on how to raise a fundraise. So it's just like, it's about a conversation. But I also think, um, as you were saying, it's about being honest. Um, so I think it's about being honest with yourself and what kind of business you're building. And it's honest with your potential investors, because it's this is all about building trust. And maybe things go wrong if the trust goes away. So I think, you know, the investor has to be honest, both if they're not investing. I mean, I know at Crowberry, we try to give all founders feedback, very honest feedback if we decide to say no. And we say no a lot more than we say yes, sadly. And it's always very difficult to say no. And it's the easiest no. It's just, yeah, this is too early for us. or This mm-hmm. is too late for us. But we really, really try and work hard to trying to give teams constructive feedback. And then they can think what kind of funding is right for me. But also, if we're going to say yes, it's about asking tough questions and get, and, you know, we've seen so many businesses now that we kind of can gauge whether it's an honest answer or a BS answer. So our sort of process for investing is very thorough. We do all sorts of DD and things like that because it's about getting to know each other. And I think one of the good things, I think um, there was a lot of kind of investment that went into venture capital in sort of post-COVID until um, the Ukrainian war. So I think, you know, from sort of Q3 2020 through Q1 21 or sort of the early days of 21, there was a lot, you know, and everything was very fast paced. And yes, it was great because a lot of money went into startup companies. But at the same time, I think there's like people were working too quickly and if you are, it is like a good dating process. I know it's a cliche, but, you know, if you're getting to know a company and it's nice to have time to look at things. And I think one of the good things with the investment climate now is, you know, there is time to look yeah, at things. Yeah, to slow down. Exactly. And also this kind of having the conversations pre-investment um, and getting to know the founders means that when it comes to the investment process, I already knew Renata and Jillian really well. And I'd seen where they'd come from when they were in these uh, accelerators until they decided to come and do a formal pitch to us. I'd seen all everything they'd learned along the way. I'd seen, I'd understood their vision. I understood their passion. So it actually sped up the investment process. Mm-hmm. Otherwise it would have taken longer. And I, I think I first met them in Sniatra, yes. this impact accelerator. And I remember sort of going and meeting all the companies in that impact um, accelerator. There are some amazing companies, but I also saw that um, Jillian and Renata had an idea of a company that was kind of could build, have impact, but also build a very efficient business. Yeah. I think the other um, the other people in the cohort in the accelerator, some of them were more experienced business people, yes, but I think they were either building something really amazing ideas, but maybe something that wasn't going to scale globally, Mm. or it was more something that would need to be driven by grants and subsidies rather than sort of having an equity investment Mm -hmm. where the investor needs to get out after 10 years and have a huge return. But I think they had an idea that could do this sort of double bottom line that could have impact to the world, but also build a sustainable sort of um, revenue generating profitable business. When does it make sense for the founders to start talking to the VCs, just to build these relationships, to start asking questions, to start trying those scenarios on themselves? 
I guess a lot of them are shying away from doing it too early because they're like, oh yeah, my idea is not. But I mean, I think a lot of people come and have a cup of coffee for us. Mm -hmm. And also then we can say, this is a great idea. You're building, you know, it's a beautiful idea. I don't think it will ever become a venture case, Mm -hmm. but you know, go the crowdfunding way or talk to this angel. We can also give them advice on other things. So um, I think, you know, one of the things that you have to be careful of as a VC is not to judge and not have sort of preconceived ideas. So it's like, I mean, one of the things I love is just approaching everything with an open mind Mm -hmm. and you never know what's going to happen. Or maybe, you know, somebody builds a a business and they want to go sort of more the small and medium enterprise route, build something that's just like dedicated to one country or something like that. That's great. And then maybe in the future, they'll build the global business. And I've been doing venture capital since 2009. So I've seen a lot of people go through lots of different journeys. Mm -hmm. And that's, um, I think, and I've seen the venture capital industry change. But I also think it's very much about keeping an open mind, meeting people, and not have a preconceived idea of what kind of business is best. I mean, we sometimes are, you know, we're like everybody wants to do everything AI these days. Luckily, Green Bites was very early in the AI trend. But I think, you know, then there are other things that are happening that you don't know about. Because if you knew everything, then, you know, life would be very easy, but yet boring. And yes. boring. Exactly. Yeah. What is the worst way that founder can reach out to you that feels like, oh, nah. I don't know. Um, I think one of the things, advice to founders just in general, if a VC says no, just be polite and say thank you because you never know when you, because once in a while we've gotten like founders that have gotten very angry and we just say, this is not right for us. I'm sorry. And we try to give them constructive feedback. And um, just like we have, and we talk to a lot of investors that invest in our funds Mm -hmm. and we get lots of no's as well. But you never know when a no is going to turn into a yes um, later in life. And I know everybody's just basically doing their best. People are investing according to how they invest. So I think it's just be nice. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I enjoy talking to people that are hardworking and nice and have good ideas. And as long as people are nice, they're always the conversation. But, you know, if you kind of either kind of show up like expecting an investment and get angry if people don't invest or say, this is not your money. So why do you, you know, I have gotten answers like that. Mm-hmm. That's not very good because A, I have put a lot of my savings into Crowberry mm-hmm. personally, because I think, you know, we're managing other people's money, but we also have, we've also put in some of our money. So yes, it is my money, but I also have a lot of responsibility making sure we manage other people's money very well. So I think I'm even more careful with that. So I think, you know, we're investing, some of our investors are pension funds and um, international fund of funds. So we have to like take good care of their money and try to make the best investments. Also, we meet companies that are maybe on a good journey, but we don't have, as a team, I mean, there are eight people that are at Crowberry now. As a team, we don't have the right knowledge to support them. So we also have to think, you know, do we have, are we the right investor? A, in terms of, yes, we can be nice and accommodating, but it's also, do we have the right knowledge base to have the right input into your company? So that's part of the fit as well. And that's part of the thing that I think founders have to see as well, To you know, can because, you know, venture capitalists are hands-on investors. They want to help you. We have aligned interests. You know, if the company is successful, we all make money and we can return nice checks to our investors. And 
So I think it's very much about making sure that you have aligned interests and an aligned vision Mm -hmm. and that there is room for the VC, like his skills contribute contribute Mm -hmm. because, um, because maybe if the, if you're looking for a different contribution, a different VC may be better. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, so yeah, the complementary skills is such a good point and like definitely something to look for other than just like a good, a good fit personality mm-hmm. wise. Cause I mean, we were quite intentional about like what we wanted and like we wanted like a consortium of people who had experience in like in digital investing, but we also wanted like an international network, which was why I think Crowberry stood out amongst the other Icelandic uh, VCs. But we had our eyes set on the German market. So we also have German VCs and that was not an accident. Uh, So just like knowing like the different puzzle pieces and like the future vision and how each different piece can like play a part in fueling the vision. Renata, you said that you met around 100 investors in your fund uh, or funding round. Tell me about the journey on the mental health side. (laughs) Going through that, trying to sell your vision, uh, building those relationships with hundred people or teams and not knowing who of them will be a partner. You know, it's, it's, it's a very intensive dating period. It's very intense. So I, I know that people approach fundraising in different ways, but I think it's really good if you have one person dedicated to fundraising, at least 80% of their time, like obviously you're going to have to do other things, but just mo- like the bulk of the time will be fundraising. Like that was my personal experience. And before doing so, Before opening the formal round, we had lots of chats with the people that we knew. We spoke a lot to Helga and Crowberry Capital, but we also spoke a lot to this um, network called the Green Tech Alliance, which is a community of startups and investors and resources. And they have like a little mini, like a a Google Doc of like a crash course of like how to invest or how to... Oh, cool. Yeah, it was really helpful. Uh, And they like had a couple like bullet points of like what to have prepared and what to expect and things like that. Uh, And the first challenge was, I mean, preparing mentally, I I don't know how to prepare other than like giving yourself time and realizing that some days will be really cool and some days will not be as cool and that's fine. Uh, Some days suck and that's totally fine. And yes, to expect a lot of no's and expecting a lot of no's and hearing a lot of no's is very different. Like, I mean, it's really hard to not take something personally when it's something that you are very personally invested in. But I think for me, I had a very, like I, the fundraise happened very closely with my co-founder, Jillian. She took a huge part in like participating in a lot of the meetings with the investors and preparing a lot of the things that we needed. Like we both worked together on it really, really closely. And I think having uh, people to, kind of spread out the mental load is very helpful. That's one. Just don't forget the people around you because, I mean, that's very important. Mm -hmm. And then two, just go at it very strategically. Like, we were very strategic about how we reached out. Like, we tried not to do too much, too many cold outreaches and figured out how we can get, like, the first, the warm intros because, of course, they were a lot better to chat with and to just kind of, I don't know, put it together on like a little spreadsheet and be like, ah, yes, what do they do? What do they not do? What do they invest in? What are they like? And to kind of like build up like a a callus to it, we reached out to the ones we knew weren't a good fit first, kind of as a practice round. 
Uh, one for us, cause we're like, ah, oh, it's not as big of a deal if they say no. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe the no's won't sting as much cause we are kind of expecting them. Cause we're like, well, they're not really who the good mm-hmm. fit is. And also just kind of like to work the muscle of like pitching and being like, ah, oh, yes, this is what we do. And this is how we do it. No, no, no. That's so, smart. Yes. That was one of the things that we did. And how was it to get those no's that you actually expected? Was it like really helping you to warm up? And yeah, I mean, it was really, it, it was very helpful to desensitize to the no's because especially the ones that you expect is you're like, well, they invest in energy. Thank you. Uh, in energy and we're not energy. So plan, whatever. And eventually like we started to really, because we knew that all venture capital funds or most of them have like a really strict uh, investment portfolio and like what they invest in and just kind of depersonalizing that and being like, well, that's not a good fit. It's not, mm-hmm. it's, it's not, not about, about you. It's yeah. not about you. It's not about your product. It's not about the investors. It's just not a good fit. And that's like everything in life. Not everything's a good fit. And that's fine. Everyone's allowed to live happily, even if you're not a good fit together. Now, sometimes I think, you know, because obviously it's sort of, we help our the companies we've invested in do their next round and things like that. And sometimes I've noticed that there's a theme to the nose mm. and then maybe it's just one thing that the company has to fix. That's one I think is really important that, you know, good VCs give constructive feedback. And sometimes it's like, you just have to like reach this revenue target or you, you need to have a better cap. The ownership of the founders isn't high enough or something. So there's sometimes like something, one thing, and you kind of see a theme in the nose. And then you kind of can think, okay, am I going to fix this or am I going to, I don't want to change this. Mm-hmm. And therefore I'm going to look for a different source of funding. So I think it's sometimes if people give constructive no's and you talk to a hundred investors and they all say no for the same reason, then it's kind of, but I think it's probably most difficult if you just get random no's, then it's just not it. So I think this is, or actually probably the worst ones are. If people don't say no and they just string you along and string you along, yes, those and string are by far the worst. Say no if you're not interested. Say no. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's not. Uh, that's also what what we try to do. And um, I know as a venture capitalist, one or tw- once or twice we have been guilty of taking too long to say no. And then maybe if it's a really borderline case and we can't reach consensus and we keep asking for information, somebody in the team is really excited about it. Mm-hmm. Somebody is against it, and we keep asking for more information, and then you just can't get because we try to have. You know, if we don't get consensus, then it's a no. It's a no. But and so I think, you know, what the worst no's for me to have said are things that are just taking too long to say no. Or there's or we're, we're all very busy and we don't want to say no without thoroughly examining the case. And then there just isn't time. So those are the ones those are the ones that I feel guilty about. And apologize to any founders out there that I have made, taken too long to say no to. But again, that shows that, okay, the case was the borderline. Yeah. And it means that they, they are very close. Mm. And, and if you include exactly. that... Exactly. And, and maybe it'll be right for somebody else as well. Yeah. yeah. So I think... I would like to speak to the constructive criticism because I think at the beginning we did have like some patterns and we did fix it. But I think the hardest bit mentally was when we were getting feedback that was clashing with the feedback that we got from other places like some people yeah. be like oh your market's really good but this isn't good and then the next person be like oh the market isn't good but this other like they would flip the things and we're like oh no how do we fix this and that was just a mild spiral yeah. <laughs> and how did you work on that well we're like well so we did a little bit of market education and we uh respectfully disagreed when like mm-hmm. they brought up things that we didn't 
agree with mm-hmm. specifically like market size and things like yeah. that because i mean i can understand why someone would think that but i mean I have numbers saying otherwise. Exactly, exactly. I think you have a fantastic market. So that's why we invested. (laughs) I agree. (laughs) I want to uh, ask what you were talking about. Renata said uh, that you were talking about mental health at that event in Latvia. Why were you there with talking about that? Um, I was asked to. I was kind of said that this was a topic and then if I wanted to, and, you know, I'm not a you know, a psychiatrist or a psychologist or anything like that. But, you know, all I know is having sort of invested, you know, seen so many startups that, you know, it's a hard journey and just see, you know, being there sort of talking about how it's important that you can share things with your board. Because I think sometimes founders, especially maybe first-time founders are afraid to share bad news with their board. And if you're a solo founder and you don't have anybody to share the bad news with, And I think, you know, seasoned VCs and seasoned boards know that, you know, things can go up and down. So I think part of just building good mental health is building a good board and a board that's going to understand that business is not like, you know, a straight, you know, a a line, you know, a straight line from, you know, zero to 100 that it goes, you know, building a business is like a process of iteration and not everything goes your way. So I think, you know, that's kind of was my message in terms of mental health, you know, share, you know, share the joy and share the pain, you know, all of the glory is never down to one person and all of the challenges are never down to one person. And I think if you have a good board, I think that's really important for founders to understand that, you know, sale doesn't go through or you have to let somebody go or you're not getting funding, you know, share it with a board because sometimes you can't share it with your employees, but you can always share it with if you have a good board. It, sharing it with the board, I think is very important. And it's important to build a board culture where you can share the challenges and that people in the board don't get angry or, and if they, and if you, as a board member, because that's how VCs work a lot there on the board is as a board member, just give constructive feedback. Sometimes you don't agree, but then you have to say why you don't agree because it's really hard. I think if you're building companies, it's a net, that's really, it's terrible. I hate what you're doing. But rather than you say, yeah, have you, oh, it's interesting that you're, you know, building your product this way. Have you tried building it that way? And then you can actually have a debate about the process. And I think 99.9% of boards are like this. Mm-hmm. And I think as a founder, it's very important to have, you know, have the right people around you. And I see the best founders, they have fantastic advisory boards. They have fantastic sort of, um, Uh, boards and then they also have advisors around them that can give them advice on different things and ideally you know brilliant co-founders that share the journey with you so i think you know it's just finding the right people around you and also having a team that supports you but i don't think you can always share all news with your team or all challenges so it's good to have different pockets and that's what, what i was talking about and you know i hope it's my goal in life to be one of those pockets of people that founders can come to and work with and not be afraid to like share their dirty laundry as well as their new newly washed linens. It's just like, you know, have, yeah. So that's kind of why I was there and what I was thinking about. And I was like, sort of really in sort of, yeah, I think it's a very important topic. And I think it should be recognized because also, again, what you see in Hollywood movies is, is like, often is like, you know, found successful founders are just like it's all fun and parties and games stuff like that it is a lot of hard work 
a lot of disappointment, can be very lonely. So it's just making sure that you're kind of mentally attuned for that journey. But it should be joyous and it should be fun. And, you know, overcoming challenges is also rewarding. How do you build your first board as a founder? Which, what kind of questions can you ask yourself or why do you look for information? Uh, I want to ask you, Helga, because yeah. you have a lot of experience from well, different companies. And then I want to ask Renata, you, for your experience. I, I mean, I think it's really important to think about and, and, and also just think about a board as people that are going to come help you. But, you know, people think board is power. It's not about power. I think it's about finding the right people that can help you build your business. So I think, you know, some of the, and you don't want a board that's just investors or just, you know, so I think it's about having a board that can contribute. It's complementary. I think you could almost just like build a matrix and think this is the kind of support I have, you know, and I know like Renata is very systematic about everything. She may have done this and thinking, you know, I want somebody who knows the product. I want somebody who knows um, the market and I want somebody that knows, um, how I get funding and maybe so, or, and somebody knows how I hire people. So look at the different elements. And sometimes, you know, you can find two things in one board member, but also think about as somebody who knows your customer. So I think, you know, think about what each board member contributes and think about that. These are people that you can trust and you can share your hardships as well as your success with these people. So I think that's about building board i also think it's often really good to have you know different genders different nationalities different ages i think you know we've been very successful with that at green bites and and um most boards i'm on it's like nobody's from the same country and then is you you know and i think if it's a you're building a global business Mm -hmm. just like it's good to have a team that works for you from different countries i think it's also good to have um a board with different geographic and different technology perspectives Mm -hmm. Renata, how was your approach to it? Yeah, I agree. I mean, like, I kind of approached the board as kind of like, not free labor, but I like skill sets that I knew I wanted, but like I couldn't hire full time. And I mean, it was great that it also coincided with a lot of the investors that we have. Like Helga mentioned, I was really keen on someone who could help us with funding. I was really keen on someone who knew about going into new markets. I was really keen on getting like legal help and like, how do you read legal documents and how someone who knows about uh, early stage startups, someone who knows about um, the restaurant industry and how to sell to the restaurant industry and just those different skills. So I was like, what are we missing and how can we get this knowledge? Because uh, Julian and I are very smart, but we don't know everything. We're very good at learning and yes. taking advice. <laughs> so we wanted to have these people around us that we could be like, take, 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 learn, 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 help, help, help. Thank you. <laughs> and I think another thing is as well, I think is sometimes a board is a sounding board. So you can talk to them and um, get advice. And then you as maybe as a sort of an executive in the company and you're executing on the strategy, you should be doing the work because mm-hmm. I think it's also sometimes I've seen which I think is a bit dangerous when, you know, a board should be hands-on, but not hands-in, mm. that somebody mm. wants to be part of the team and is like, you know, take, and then it's really sort of from a corporate perspective, very difficult to say, no, please don't do that. We're not kind of doing that. So I think, you know, a board can come with a lot of free advice, but maybe it's like the best founders have the judgment to decide, you know, what advice works for their business. So I think it's also very dangerous if a sort of um, an outside board member starts doing a lot of, you know, they, they're they there to support you in your work. They're not to do your work because I think that sometimes I have seen board members almost get in the way. And then you kind of, because they're on the board, then they're 
that has not happened with green bites it's in other businesses because you're on the board you're kind of like you know you, you don't want to say please you're in the way can you please get out of the way and it just you know then you know that board member should just be part of the should just be hired by the company and be part of the team it is a different role it's not an employee like it's it yeah it is an advice kind yeah. of situation i agree I sometimes i mean sometimes the founders are on the board and then they obviously they're working for the company yes. as well but i think it usually it's either founders or outside board members How do you decide whether a person should go on the board or be an independent advisor? Is there any way of um, evaluating, not evaluating, but maybe you know, thinking? Um, I think, well, sometimes an independent advisor works differently with you because they uh, maybe sort of work like in sprints. You can have um, looking at this and they're an independent advisor or consultant to the company, and then you can use them during that sprint. You know, if you're a board member, it means that you have certain corporate governance rules you have to follow. Mm-hmm. You kind of, it's a, you know, monthly or quarterly meeting. So it's a very regular dialogue you have, whereas like an independent advisor is maybe somebody you need for a certain skill. And like you need an advisor and how does that help you set up a sales team? Mm-hmm. So maybe it's just like a one part of the company and then you don't talk to them for a year until you hire the next salespeople. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, whereas a board is somebody who is like regularly in sort of grows with your business and there's like a, a, a sort of beat to the board work. Yeah, I agree. I think the only thing that I would add is that besides like an external advisor being someone that's kind of not temporary, but like comes in sprints, the people that are on the board are also working toward, it's more important that they're working to the same vision mm-hmm. uh, that you're trying to work towards. Whereas like you can get someone who's like brilliant at like uh, training salespeople for a few months that maybe doesn't have your same vision mm-hmm. so it's really important for the board to yes. actually be 100% yeah. aligned and have their communication all the time reminding each other about the big mm-hmm. picture where we're heading and uh, aligning that all the time yeah, yeah that's a really good point anything that you would have done done differently so far Renata, with green bikes? yeah a bunch of things <laughs> i think oh gosh i don't even know one thing to say oh uh, because we've learned so much and i think like I think this is probably just a personal thing where I want everything done yesterday. And I want every, I'm always like, Oh, I wish we were like at this point then, <laughs> but that's not how time works. <laughs> um, so I just feel like I've learned a lot about how to structure companies and how to delegate work. Oh, maybe that's what I'll talk about. I wanted, I wish I learned, I'm still learning how to like best delegate work, but I wish I had learned how to do that better earlier on. Because I think uh, one of the pitfalls that gets glamorized on, I don't know, the movies and stuff is the founders doing everything. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, the founders did this and they're, well, I don't know, they made magic happen because mm-hmm. whatever. And just being more open to letting people help you in different ways. It's so nice that you're mentioning it because just one of my previous guests, uh, one of my past clients, Arne Pedro Blakes, he talks about the delegation and, and actually called the... Uh, episode uh, quoting him delegate or die a slow death oh wow yes yes <laughs> I, mean, i think it was yes. a very powerful message so how are you learning to delegate or how would you be doing it better earlier what what is the process of delegation for you uh, i mean so at the beginning it was hard because we just had no money mm-hmm. so we couldn't really delegate because we're like well we have to figure it out because we there's no other option and i think that there is a benefit to like the scrappiness of it all because it allows you to be a bit faster and even though it's a bit messier so just kind of understanding the balance of like when to be scrappy and when to like 
make an investment Mm. into hiring someone or getting an expert to do something and that kind of thing. Um, And I would like to think that I have a better gauge on that of when it is a waste, like not because we can do a lot of things, but it will take us a long time to learn how to do this Mm -hmm. thing. And if it's starting to take a long time where we're not doing our other things, because we're trying to figure out how to do something else poorly that's mm-hmm. when I want to like switch over and be like, okay, this is when we hire someone. This is when we bring someone on. This is when we bring on an expert or get a consultant or whatever. Yes. And what are the the first, what were the first roles or tasks that you delegated or well, wished you would have? I mean, there? I'm going to say the one that we first delegated was like an obvious thing was like the development because it was at the beginning of COVID and Julie and I were like, we can learn how to, we can learn how to like make web apps. That's fine. Like, sure, like, we have backgrounds in coding, and, like, Jillian makes her algorithms, which is, I guess, also coding, and she has a big part in, like, managing the tech team, but it's not the same skills, like, it's not the same skills. Doing an architecture is not the same as actually coding. No. So, we're like, wow, this is very painful and slow, and it's (laughs) slowing everything else down. So, that was our, like, first hire of springing on developers, and I think we just had similar experiences with this being like, oh, this is taking forever. Mm. Like, for example, trying to figure out the Icelandic financial system. There's a language barrier. There's a lot of different laws that we're not familiar with. Okay, get an accountant. Mm. Like, there's, I think, things like that. Mm. Personally, yes, just working on the stubbornness and also learning that delegation is not abdication, that you're still there to offer support and be involved but in a different way. I also think this is about, again, the um, fundamental health thing. If you're going to do everything and you're afraid of losing control, you're just going to draw yourself into an early grave. So it's, again, you know, like you have to learn to trust your um, investors, you trust your team, and and always, you know, trying to hire people that are smarter than you so they can do something that, you know, and have complementary skills. So I think it's very much about, you know, I've seen founders burn out because, you know, they're kind of afraid to lose control. And it's just so hard. So you just have to, you know, let go. Yes. And it's how do, you, how do you help them with that? Because I, I know it's difficult. I work with that uh, yeah. on that with my clients. And when I asked them later on, like, okay, how was it to let go of control? They're like liberating. Yeah. That's the word I hear a lot in that context. Yeah, I think it's just about but it's suffocation, this fear of yeah, exactly. Well, I think it's just about trust. I think it's like if you just have to learn to trust people and, you know, and I always trust people until, you know, once in a while you really, you trust people you shouldn't have trusted, but mostly you just trust people because 99% of people are good and trustworthy and just have, and they can prove that they have a skill that you, as, as Rena said, sorry. We have some music break here. So it's about trust and, and, I mean, I would say it's not just control. Like, I mean, yes, no. that's obviously a thing that people fear letting go of 100%. But I think it's also a misunderstanding of what is expected of you. Because I think, like, for me, I thought, like, I was expected to do or to know how to do a lot of these things. Mm-hmm. I don't know where I thought or who I thought expected this, but I was like, oh, I don't have to do all these things. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a good point. Yeah. So I think it's, Yeah. I think, you know, all you have to do, and then I think it's also that sort of as a founding CEO, I think sometimes it's like you're just an enabler. And I think it's also as a VC, you kind of also have to trust people that they're going to build a business mm-hmm. and you're there to offer advice and enable it. And I mean, I think the CEO is, you know, obviously 
does a lot of stuff, but also a CEO is just like, you know, in, in, a, in a way, CEO has two roles, just to make sure that there's a functioning team and make sure that that company never runs out of money to pay yes. that functioning team. And if it does to close the business before it becomes a mess. Mm. So those are really, um, that's kind of as a VC, what you expect of a CEO is just making sure that there's funding in there and making sure that the team is doing what you say that they were going to do. Yeah, I agree. I see my role as similar. Yeah. Yeah. As making sure the money doesn't round out and bringing the best out of my team. Yeah. And allowing, I don't know, taking away the obstacles so that they can shine. Exactly. Yeah. And and do their thing. Oh, which is kind of this whole kind of thing about serving leadership, which is so lovely because that's kind of what it's about. It's not telling people what to do, but just enabling yeah. them to be, you know, create an environment. Yeah. That. Yes. But I think that that's something that I would learn. Well, I would love to learn more how to do or wish I like knew more about earlier. Cause I mean, I definitely, I, it's ideally what I want to do and like enable people to do that. And I think it's just like a management skill, a management skill that like, I don't think I personally have to the extent of a management skill. I don't think I have. And I think there's like this list of like why startups fail and like there's a like run out of money and like the founders or whatever. And I think lack of management to like scale a company is should be on like the top three because just I think people don't know how to break like let go of control or understand like what's expected of them and what they're supposed to be doing and that kind of stuff. That's also what a board is there for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of to, um, you can talk to them mm-hmm. and ask them about sort of how do I do this or how do I hire the best person for this and things like that. I also think, which is one of the hard things about being CEO as well, is if is also about making sure that you don't hire too many people and also making sure you hire the right people. And if somebody isn't a good fit, to be able to let them go early, mm-hmm. just like, and I think those are kind of the hard things because sometimes you hire nice people, but they're not the right fit for your company. And I, especially as a first time founder, because I think if you have, it's just like throwing money out the window. If like the team isn't working mm-hmm. correctly, cause you have a payroll every month. So you better like make sure that people are contributing more than they get paid. Yes. And it's a hard thing, especially it's such yeah. a hard thing. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a building a startup. I have had contractors and part-time uh, employees, but this is such a difficult thing, especially if you like the person and you see that they're trying, but it's just not the fit to what yeah. you need at the moment as the company. It's so difficult to yeah. put your human part aside for a moment and think about the company yeah. because you're responsible for that person's mm-hmm. livelihood, even if it's part-time for my, yeah. my case. No, exactly. So I think that's that, that, that's the hard mm-hmm. thing because I think it may be in larger companies you can have people yes. that are just there to make everybody happy but are not sort of contributing in a function. But I think, you know, in sort of the you know, a lean startup, everybody has to be contributing. And, um, and contributing a lot. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't think it has to be inhumane because I think you can just be really yeah, like exactly. honest about that yeah. yeah, and part on good terms. And yeah, I no, also agree that like the board really helps with that because I mean, I think a lot of the growth that we have seen in the team is like with that in particular, it's because we've reached out and be like, hello, we don't know how to do this. Please help. Mm-hmm. And they're like, here's a book. Here's a podcast. <laughs> here's some advice. Yeah. And good. yeah. Are there any questions or have, have there been any questions that you felt like, oh, should I really talk to my board about that? And then you did. And I was like, why did I even, like, why was I scared or nervous about that? Or have you built that relationship from the beginning that you really are just not, not, not afraid of bringing whatever is there? I think we're quite okay. Like, I don't think I've ever felt fear going into a board meeting. Like, I mean, 
we have had to like announce like, oh, like this employee didn't work out or like we haven't met this particular goal. And I mean, usually at the end we have an ask and we're like, how can we go about this or whatever? And I, I think, I think it's, I don't think we've had too much fear about no, that. No, you don't seem fearful in board meetings. I think they've been very sort of good. And I think, you know, with, um, with Green Bites, we've had sort of shorter, but because it's a quite a young company and mm-hmm. it was a pre-seed round. And I think sometimes if you've, um, as the business is very young, it's better to have shorter but more frequent board meetings rather than, you know, worse with maybe more sort of scale-ups, then you kind of have longer board meetings, but they're not as frequent. Yeah, it might be more pressure if there's like longer ones, but we update quite regularly. Yeah, you do. You have very good updates, so everybody knows what um, is happening. And I also think the investment investor pack that you send out before board meetings is really thorough and good, so we know what to expect and... um yeah, I think it seems like I, I must say it's a very good board meetings with very sort of transparent dialogue. I'm and glad just, it's just and to me, there feels like there's a lot of trust in the board. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. I really do think that like the board is there to help you and we're yeah. doing the same thing. And if they can help, they can. And I think it's so important to them that you mention it that way because... I have seen people who are afraid of going to the board. I've heard of it too as well. And that's also why I mentioned it. Because it's sad. Because, I mean, it's, I can't imagine it being a lot of tension Mm. if like the people that you're supposed to be working with feel like they're working against you. And I don't think that's the case. But like, if you have different goals or there is fear or lack of transparency. And I think that's something that Julian and I have gotten very good at is being comfortable with discomfort amongst our team. (laughs) In like, I don't know. I think we're really good at being like, this isn't going to be super comfy, but like. Yeah, and I all, think that's the, that, that's the joy of building a startup. Yes. You just have to like be really good at managing uncertainty. Mm-hmm. There's always going to be uncertainty and you just manage it. Mm-hmm. And you may go into a board meeting. You don't know what feedback you're going to get, but you're going to get feedback. Yeah. And hopefully mm-hmm. if you have a good board, it will be very constructive feedback. And mm-hmm. I think it's just about building that culture mm-hmm. where you get constructive feedback, no matter what you share. Mm-hmm. Ladies, thank you so much for the conversation. I really enjoyed it. And I I hope it will be very uh, useful for for my audience here. Just because of getting these perspectives and and it it is a dialogue, right? We we didn't talk about each other in the separate conversations. And I think it brings value because it felt like we kept learning from each other here. So thank you so much, Helga. Thank you, Renata. Thank you. And thank you. I was really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you both. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Genius Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed the conversation, hit the subscribe button. Please rate, review, and share to help more people discover the show and become the better leaders. For more conversations about living in your zone of genius, connect with me on LinkedIn. Genius Leadership is an honors conversation about leading yourself and others. And it is my honor to be a guide in overcoming everything.